0: 6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It is 2 p.m. in London, 7:30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1922. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants, and that might be indecent. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll tell you more about that coming up, and the stupidity of things here in the country, which I call home. And we'll get to it. All right. Uh, yeah, we got that. We got lots coming up tonight, including uh, newspapers picking on people, ridiculously so. Actually, both of the stories are kind of the same thing. We got some inspirational stuff tonight, some very cool stuff, some weird stuff. Very strange things that we're going to talk about. And uh, then we're finally going to wind up, as we always do, with our book. We're reading Tom Sawyer right now from Mark Twain, the original Mark Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer. And we were halfway through chapter 18, so we'll finish off chapter 18 tonight. This is a really long book, so uh, we're getting through it. Very, very fascinating, though. If you've never read Tom Sawyer, this is your chance to, well, listen to it being read to you. Hello, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. Cannot encourage you enough to check us out on Rumble. It's the same show. We are live there, same way we are on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Uh, But we just really want to encourage you to check out our Rumble channel. There are chances, what with censorship and editing and all the BS buffalo sandwiches going on, With tech these days, we could, even though our show is not really controversial, per se, uh, you never know. And, uh, you know, things can happen. But I will always, no matter what, I will always be on Rumble.com. You can find all of our shows there, all our previous shows. This is number 178. 178 shows we've done. We should probably do a special for our 200th. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, all right, what else we got going on? Oh, I know what we got going on. It's this little lady right here. It's a Miko update. Miko update. Me, 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 Miko update. She's great. And she will not stop eating. Oh, man. You know, if you if you didn't know, uh, she was in hospital for three, four days uh, because she had another one of those gastric things. She wouldn't eat. She was throwing up. She was, it was coming out of both ends. It was a mess. And after a few days of not eating, she was drinking, which at least she was doing that. But uh, we decided, no, it's time. So she went. I once again could not figure out what was wrong. But uh, she is doing much better now, eating us out of house and home. There's the little girl right there. And uh, she's doing well. She's, uh, she lost almost two kgs, but she was a bit overweight anyway. So not the worst thing on the planet. But I'm telling you, the way she's going, it's not going to take her long to catch up. She's going to be right back up to 12 kgs again. Average, by the way, for a female Shiba Inu is about 9 kgs, and she was 12. So, yeah, a third more than she probably should have been. But as you can see there, she's not fat. So, and she's doing well. The only weird thing I have to report tonight, and this is a strange one, uh, she always gets along with everybody. Strangers, little kids, other dogs, male, female, doesn't matter. She has never had a bad thing or a snarl to say about anybody or anything. Cats, dogs, whatever. She loves them all. But tonight we ran into a new dog that we hadn't seen before. It was a, a mutt, a mongrel, you know a mixed breed. And um I hate that word mutt, mongrel. It sounds so derogatory. Anyway, um it was a mixed breed. Beautiful dog, and also female. Now Miko is right at the end of her heat cycle. So I think hormones had something to do with this. But for the first time in the two-plus years she's been part of our family, she actually, they were sniffing, tails wagging, everything was fine. And suddenly, Miko started growling. And then she started, you know, nipping. And I was like, whoa, what is up with that, girl? So I I don't know. I pulled her away. Everything was fine. Nobody got bit. Everything was okay. But I have never seen her react like that. Uh, Another female dog. And I really have a feeling it's because she is right at the end of her heat cycle. And, you know, hormones are going beep, 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 crazy. So anyway, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) She's doing great. Uh, Misbehaving, but doing great. All right. What else we got for you tonight? Oh yes. Uh, Now... uh, Fair warning. Fair warning. If you have any young kids in the room, you might want to make them leave if you're watching with your kids. If you are easily offended, you may want to turn away. Or if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably the lucky ones because you don't have to suffer the fate of people watching the video or our live stream. Because what I am about to show you is probably the most Offensive, indecent photographs you have ever seen in your life. In fact, they are so indecent, people have been arrested and charged. This stupid story from World of Buzz, and again, please, we love World of Buzz. It is not World of Buzz. They're just reporting. The stupidity is behind what happened. Two men arrested in Johor, Johor is a state in Malaysia, for dressing in women's clothes and posing indecently for photos. And now, see, I warned you, Thank goodness they actually blurred out part of this picture here, because, you know, God forbid. The uh, PDRM, which is what we call our police department, it's Police Diraja Malaysia, the Royal Malaysian Police, reminds everyone to use social media wisely. (laughs) Yeah, okay, sure. Two men arrested after they dressed in women's clothes and lingerie and posed for pictures while performing indecent acts in front of the Laman Makota Istana Bukit Serene in Johor. Here's the lewd acts. I think that's a pretend kiss, and one is uh, holding the other uh, in his arms. Uh, Based on a report by the most ridiculously backwoods, dark ages newspaper we have in Malaysia, which is Utusan, Malaysia. The two men, who were 27 and 24 respectively, were arrested in separate locations around Taman Nusa Bastari and at the Johor Baharu Salatan District police headquarters. Oh, here's another horribly graphic, indecent photograph. Avert your eyes save the children take away any small animals that may be in the room the pictures went viral on social media and the arrests were made following a pre-posting upload from the accounts of brian Wee and deacon char by the facebook account of the Johor National Association today and blah 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 bullshit. Okay, uh so here's yeah, here's some more. Oh, look, thank goodness they actually blurred the photograph out cuz I'm not sure I could even keep my dinner down. Uh he reminds the public to be smart, prudent social media users and not to perform or use uh, platforms incorrectly. Yeah. Let me suggest something to you. I can't suggest you use Google because Google is just criminal. DuckDuckGo, anyone, any search engine you want. Unclick the safe search feature and then put in any one of these words and see what you get. Trust me, you'll find a lot more indecent stuff there available anywhere than a couple of guys dressed up in some cross-dressing outfits fooling around taking funny pictures. In fact, these are the, now be careful, these are the unblurred versions. You'll notice they virtually look exactly like the blurred versions. And there is nothing in anything that would offend anybody except the truly stupid among us. So, once again, likely some moron files a police report. And then all hell breaks loose for absolutely no good reason. I'm almost sure, I'm almost sure there's a few more important criminal cases we could be worrying about with our police uses than a couple of guys having some fun taking funny pictures. I'm sure there's something more important the police could be doing than wasting time on this crap. Okay. I'm not a big fan of Upworthy. They tend to, I don't know, they tend to just do, I'll tell you what, the best way to explain it is to show you. The first black woman to win an Olympic speed skating gold what an amazing accomplishment an incredible accomplishment i don't talk a lot about the olympics because frankly the olympics should never have happened in communist china it is ridiculous that they uh, they were given the rights to the olympics with their human rights abuses but erin jackson was set to miss out on the spot in beijing her friend Brittany bow a fellow skater gave up her spot for jackson Jackson went on to win the speed skating gold, Uh, penned her name into Olympic history, becoming the first black woman to win a gold medal in the women's 500-meter speed skating event. She was so overcome with emotion. She was crying on the podium. And here's the headline. She cried so much, her medal was backwards. So what? How is it that this woman accomplishes this amazing, incredible feat and all you morons can do is point up the fact, including in the headline, that her medal was on backwards? Is that really the most important point of this story? Not the fact that she set a world record, she won the gold, She's the first black woman to do that, but oh no, you morons, you freaking morons, got to point up the fact, and and it's all in the story here, that she didn't realize her medal was backwards when she stood up at the podium. Upworthy, shame on you. This story could have been written about an amazing record set by the first black woman to set it. And you, for no reason, needed to include the fact that her medal was backwards. What, you think you'd get more clicks that way? Some clickbait bullcrap? You should be ashamed of yourself. This is stupidity at its worst. This is the kind of bullcrap reporting that needs to stop. Seriously. Look at that. Right in the headline. Upworthy. Sorry, it's a big fat no from me. And shamefully, I shared the link in our show notes. I shouldn't probably have done that to give them any more clicks, which they deserve none of. (coughs) Excuse me, but you will find that link in our show note. I can't encourage you to go there because, frankly, I think the site is shameful. And that's a ridiculous angle to take on this story. All right. Uh, An interesting piece of news. I hadn't really set to uh, talk about this, so I'm just going to share it with you. Uh, But it just popped up this week, as a matter of fact, and that has to do with uh, Malaysia Airlines Flight MH370. You don't have to be in Malaysia to know what that's all about. I'm sure you know. It's been many, many years, and Malaysia Airlines Flight MH370 has never been found but now Australian investigators are reviewing the data in light of the uh, Godfrey MH370 location. Uh, Transportation Safety Bureau and Geoscience Australia are reviewing the data in response to Richard Jodfie's breakthrough MH370 tracking technology. Uh, despite the ATSB's role in the search, which concluded it back in 2017, so 18, 19, 20, 21 to five years ago, Um, the ATSB new chief commissioner, Angus Mitchell, has told News Limited he remained open-minded about this new theory. You've probably read about it. It was in the headlines a while ago. He told the news the Godfrey uh, Godfrey data was actively being reviewed with tech advances, and a public announcement was expected in about a fortnight, uh, which is about 20 days. Uh, It puts the aircraft in an area that we've already searched, I guess me coming in with a due diligence and a new set of eyes, we're taking a review of the data that we hold there and that's being done in conjunction with Geoscience Australia, Mr. Mitchell told News Corp Australia and Sky News. At the moment, he said, we're looking at the data we hold where Mr. Godfrey's theory suggests the plane went down. And I think that once the theory and the tech has been used, uh, that he's using, has gone through that scientific process and has been verified or otherwise, then I think uh, the other questions that remain unanswered and that flight path may be one of them. So there may in the coming days, months, however long it takes, be some uh, news coming up. Interesting article. Read the whole thing. It's from uh, America, or airline airlineratings.com. Uh, and you will find the link in our, uh, in our show notes tonight. So check that out. But uh, again, the mystery of uh, uh, Malaysian Airlines MH370, which, which has held the world captive for a very, very long time these days. All right. Uh, let's move on to the ridiculous. <laughs> I warned you we had a bunch of indecent photographs tonight, and I've got another one. Be prepared to avert your eyes. You know what that is? Hold on. Let me line it up a little better for you. There. I didn't want to show you the, the title so that you, you, you could tell. But can you tell what that is? You have a guess? Sorry, if you're listening to the podcast, check out our, our video on rumble.com. That is the hole that a needle makes in your skin when you get an injection magnified a lot, (laughs) excuse me, as seen by an electron microscope, that is a needle or syringe hole, uh, the way it goes into your skin. Absolutely incredible when you see it at that kind of huge magnification. That is just freaky. And that is uh, part of this strange gallery of photographs that I found, which are from uh, allthat'sinteresting.com. No one knows for sure why a hospital cleaning lady named Harriet Cole decided to donate her body to science, but her amazing contribution, her nervous system, remains on display to this day, and if you check this out, this is actually the lady's nervous system. After she passed away, she donated her body to science, and that's what she gave. Very weird. That was from 1888. French neurologist Guillaume Benjamin Armand Duchesne carries out an experiment in electropsychology by triggering a subject's muscles with electrical probes in order to produce a given facial expression. This is from the mid-19th century. That's some scary stuff. How about this one? April 1926, dozens of Ku Klux Klan members in Cannon City, Colorado, walked down Main Street and enjoyed some fun on a traveling carnival's Ferris wheel, and they posed for this photograph. You can actually see the KKK members in full hood outfits, these morons, riding the Ferris wheel. Not the usual way you see these racist idiots portrayed. How about this one? Actually, I could see somebody suggesting something like this get used today. One of you, you know, the people who like wear masks inside their car when they're all alone, those kind of morons. I could see somebody suggesting this. A woman tests a stroller which is intended to be resistant to gas attacks. This was from in Hextable, England back in 1938, not long before the outbreak of World War II. I don't think I'd want to be the child inside that. Uh, How about this Los Angeles, California alligator farm? Patrons were allowed to mingle freely among the trained alligators. There's a bunch of women uh, picnicking and some guy who you'll notice has a rather large stick. Uh, And these are supposedly trained alligators. I'm thinking you likely can't train them that well. It's <laughs> just weird. Okay, I don't know why they wound up from the KKK to Hitler, but uh, you know, or, or is this Justin Trudeau? I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Is it, uh, it? It could be. Adolf Hitler poses in Liedehosen, circa 1930s. He had this photo and several others banned because, in his opinion, they undermined his dignity. The photos surfaced again after an Allied soldier found copies of them in a German house in 1945. These are just the weirdest things. Alright, if you're listening on the podcast, check out the link. It's in our show notes tonight. You can look at all these photographs. There's a ton of them. And they are all kinds of really weird, strange stuff, like A few of which we just saw. Very, very strange. All right. Uh, Oh, this is a cool story. It really made me think. I think I came to a conclusion. But I'm not sure. You got to listen carefully. Even if if you're on the podcast, you're just listening to the audio, so you're fine. But if you're listening to the video and watching the video, you got to listen to the story behind this. Uh, There's a picture of a a big, tall, multi-story building and a circle around somebody standing way up on top. It's a very blurry photo. You can't tell who or what it is. But uh, this is from Greg Greg on uh, Facebook. Never trust anyone, it's called. Now, listen up. A couple decides to commit suicide after going through a really hard time in life. So they both decide to jump off a 20 story building to their death. When they got to the topmost floor, they both agreed to count one, two, three, and jump. On the third count, the woman jumped, but the man stayed. And as the man watched the woman fall, he saw the woman pulled out a parachute and landed safely. The question is, in this scenario, who betrayed who? The man or the woman? Hmm. They go up to the top. They're both going to jump. One, two, three, jump. The woman jumps. The man doesn't. But the woman who jumped had a parachute. The guy just refused to jump. Who was the betrayer? You know, having thought about this and not spending a whole lot of time because it's kind of silly, I have to say I think they both were. The man, because he was supposed to jump and he didn't. And the woman, because if they had both jumped, she had a parachute and she wasn't prepared to die either. So my opinion, I think they both, both were the betrayer interesting though I'd, if you think differently i'd like to hear your comments put them in the uh, in the notes down below you can no matter where we are facebook youtube twitch uh, rumble.com there's a place for comments leave your comments about that i would love to hear your thoughts because it's uh, it's a it's a rather weird one huh rather strange uh, strange perdicky monk all right and i'm going to end before we get into Tom Sawyer tonight with one more story, because we always, always try and end with something either funny or heartwarming. And (laughs) I don't think I've seen as heartwarming a story as this in a very long time. This is from, and I'm sorry, I know I'm going to mess up your name on Facebook. uh, Sathish Kumar Batumalai, Batumalai. Uh, It is a short video. There's music, but you don't need to hear the sound. Um, And check this out. Let me just pop over to my other shot here. These are motorcycles. These are thousands of motorcycles. In Germany, a six-year-old boy who loved motorcycles had been diagnosed with cancer. His family posted online and asked if somebody, just one person, could ride by their house to cheer him up. They expected maybe 20, 30 people would see the post and show up. 20,000 bikers. Let me play the video. 20,000 bikers showed up, this six-year-old boy, look at that. Please, if you're listening to the podcast, check out the link in our show notes and watch this video. You have got to see this. Uh, It is absolute. There's an ambulance, some police cars escorting them by. And here is uh, the video of this little guy, six years old. He's in a, looks like a wheelchair. He's sadly been diagnosed with cancer. There he is. And while they expected 20 or 30 people, 20,000 bikers. You want to tell me bikers don't have a heart? Take a look at that. Absolutely incredible. Showed up to put a smile on that little guy's face. That is. That is beyond fantastic, man, I'm telling you. You know, people, hey, look, there's a bunch of bad bikers out there, gang bikers and stuff like that, but that is by far not the majority, and the same can be said of truckers, right Canada? Uh, It's just, the, the folks I know who ride bikes are some of the most human, nicest guys and gals that I've ever met. And I'll put up any one of them against any uh, bookworm humanitarian any day. Uh, what a fantastic story. Please, if you're listening on the podcast, I can't encourage you enough to check out the link. It's in our show notes tonight and watch that video. It's very short. It's about a minute long. Won't take much time, but please do uh, do check that out because it's uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. Okay, it's time to get up and get on and get over to Mr. Tom Sawyer, as written by Mark Twain. Uh, however, before we get going with the second half of chapter 18, I will remind you, as always, this book was written in 1876. Some words in the book, while appropriate in 1876, today are considered vulgar. However, we are reading this book exactly the way Mark Twain wrote it. That does include some references, including the N-word, um, that were perfectly acceptable in 1876, not so much today. So if that kind of thing offends you, you may just want to go find something else to do for 15 or 20 minutes. So, as we move forward, we will uh, head into the second half of chapter 18 of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. At school, the children made so much fun of him and of Joe and delivered such eloquent admiration from their eyes that the two heroes were not long in becoming insufferably stuck up. They began to tell their adventures to hungry listeners, but they only began it was not a thing likely to have an end with imaginations like theirs to furnish material. And finally, when they got out their pipes and went serenely puffing along, the very summit of glory was reached. Tom decided that he could be independent of Becky uh, Becky Thatcher now. Glory was sufficient. He would live for glory. Now that he was distinguished, maybe she would be wanting to make up, well, let her. She should see that he could be as indifferent as some other people. Presently, she arrived. Tom pretended not to see her. He moved away and joined a group of boys and girls and began to talk. Soon he observed that she was tripping gaily back and forth with flushed face and dancing eyes, pretending to be busy chasing schoolmates and screaming with laughter when she made a capture, but he noticed that she always made her captures in his vicinity, and that she seemed to cast a conscious eye in his direction at such times, too. It gratified all the vicious vanity that was in him. And so, instead of winning him, it only set him up the more and made him the more diligent to avoid betraying that he knew she was about. Presently, she gave over skylarking and moved irresolutely about, sighing once or twice and glancing fervily and wistfully towards Tom. And then she observed that now Tom was talking more particularly to Amy Lawrence than to anyone else. She felt a sharp pang and grew disturbed and uneasy at once. She tried to go away, but her feet were treacherous, carried her to the group instead. And she said to a girl, almost at Tom's elbow, with sham vivacity. Why, Mary Austin, you bad girl, why didn't you come to Sunday school? I did come. You didn't see me? Why, no, did you? Where'd you sit? I was in Miss Peterson's class, where I always go. I saw you. Did you? Why, it's funny I didn't see you. I wanted to tell you about the picnic. Oh, that's jolly. Who's going to give it? My ma's going to let me have one. Oh, goody, I hope she'll let me come. Uh, Well, she will. The picnic's for me. She'll let anybody come that I want, and I want you. That's ever so nice. When's it going to be? Oh, by and by, maybe about vacation. Oh, won't it be fun? You're going to have all the girls and boys? Yes, everyone that's friends to me or wants to be. And she glanced ever so furtively at Tom but he was talking right along to Amy Lawrence about the terrible storm on the island and how the lightning tore the great sycamore tree all to flinders while he was standing within three feet of it. Oh, may I come, said Grace Miller. Yes, and me, said Sally Rogers. Yes, and me too, said Susie Harper. And Joe, yes, and so on with clapping of joyful hands till all the group had been begging for invitations but Tom and Amy. And then Tom turned coolly away, still talking, and took Amy with him. Becky's lips trembled, and the tears came to her eyes. She hid these signs with a forced gaiety and went on chattering, but the life had gone out of the picnic. Now, and out of everything else, she'd got away as soon as she could and hid herself and had what her sex call a good cry. Then she sat moody with wounded pride till the bell rang. She roused up now with a vindictive cast in her eye and gave her plaited tails a shake. And she said she knew what she'd do. At recess... Tom continued his flirtation with Amy with jubilant self-satisfaction, and he kept drifting about how to find Becky and lacerate her with the performance. At last, he spied her, but there was a sudden failing of his mercury. She was sitting cozily on a little bench behind the school house, looking at a picture book with Alfred Temple. And so absorbed were they and their heads so close together over the book, they didn't seem to be conscious of anything else in the world besides. Jealousy ran red-hot through Tom's veins. He began to hate himself for throwing away the chance Becky'd offered for a reconciliation. He called himself a fool and all the hard names he could think of. He wanted to cry with vexation. Amy chatted happily along as they walked, for her heart was singing, but Tom's tongue had lost its function. He did not hear what Amy was saying, and whenever she paused expectantly, he could only stammer an awkward assent, which was as often misplaced as otherwise. He kept drifting to the rear of the schoolhouse again and again to sear his eyeballs with the hateful spectacle there. He couldn't help it, and it maddened him to see, as he thought he saw, that Becky Thatcher never once suspected that he was even in the land of the living. But she did see, nevertheless, and she knew she was winning her fight, too, and was glad to see him suffer as she had suffered. Amy's happy prattle became in tolerable. Tom hinted at things he had to attend to, things that might be done, and time was fleeting, but in vain. The girl chirped on. Tom thought, oh, hang her. Ain't I ever going to get rid of her? At last, he must be attending to those things, and she said artlessly that she would be around when school let out, and he hastened away, hating her for it. Any other boy, Tom thought, grating his teeth. Any boy in the class but the whole town. But that little St. Louis smarty thinks she dresses so fine and is aristocracy. Oh, all right, I licked you the first day you ever saw this town, mister. And I'll lick you again. You just wait till I catch you. I'll just take an end. And as he went through the motions of thrashing an imaginary boy, pummeling the air, kicking, gouging... "'Oh, you do, do you? You haul enough, do you? "'Well, now, then, let that learn you.'" And so the imaginary floggings was finished to his satisfaction. Tom fled home at noon. His conscience could not endure any more of Amy's grateful happiness, and his jealousy could bear no more of any other distress Becky resumed her picture inspections with Alfred, but the minutes dragged along and no calm Tom came to suffer. Her triumphs began to cloud, and she lost interest. Gravity and absent-mindedness followed, and then melancholy. Two or three times she pricked up her ears at a footstep, but it was a false hope. No Tom came. At last she grew entirely miserable and wished she hadn't carried it so far. When poor Alfred, seeing he was losing her, he didn't know how, kept exclaiming, Oh, here's a jolly one, look at this. As she lost patient patience at last and said, Oh, don't bother me, I don't care for him." Then burst into tears and got up and walked away. Alfred dropped alongside and was going to try to comfort her, but she said, Go away. Leave me alone. Can't you? I hate you. So the boy halted, wondering what he could have done. For she had said she would look at pictures all through the nooning. And she walked on, crying. Then Alfred went musing into the deserted schoolhouse. He was humiliated and angry. He easily guessed his way to the truth. The girl had simply made a convenience of him to bent her spite upon Tom Sawyer. He was far from hating Tom, the less when this thought occurred to him. He wished there was some way to get that boy into trouble without too much risk to himself. Tom's spelling book fell under his eye. Here was his opportunity. He gratefully opened to the lesson for the afternoon and poured ink "'Upon the page. "'Becky, glancing in a window behind him at the moment, "'saw the act and moved on without discovering herself. "'She started homeward now, intending to find Tom and tell him. "'Tom would be thankful and their troubles would be healed. "'Before she was halfway home, however, she changed her mind. "'The thought of Tom's treatment of her "'when she was talking about her picnic Came scorching back and filled her with shame. She resolved to let him get whipped on the damaged spelling book's account and to hate him forever into the bargain. And that's chapter 18 of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. We'll continue with chapter 19 on monday night's live stream all right friends thanks so much for joining please do like and subscribe wherever you happen to be watching this show or whatever podcast outlet just hit that subscribe button or like or follow wherever it is around here somewhere uh it really it costs nothing it's absolutely free and uh, it really does help me help the show and help us keep bringing you this uh Rather wacky, interesting stuff. All right, my friends, I'll see you again on Monday. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I am indecently not wearing pants. Good night. (laughs)